Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. Thank you, Nick and Judy, for reading the Word today. We are in Acts chapter 13 as we make our way through the book of Acts, and we come to a... um, A big transition point in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13, Uh, we're turning the ship toward a different city, toward a different people. So up to this point, uh, the book of Acts has basically been about the Jewish people. And actually, uh, when you think about the church, think about the church uh, primarily this way. The church originally was made up of Jewish people and then expanded to the Gentile world. So uh, everybody here pretty much is a Gentile. So this is very pertinent to us. So here's an interesting, interesting thing about it. Uh, think about that. You know, when you think about the book of Acts, you think about, you know, the New Testament. Uh, we, think about, uh, we think about Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a wonderful place. I've been to Jerusalem. That's where, of course, Jesus was crucified. Uh, all the wonderful Palm Sunday happened at Jerusalem. Jerusalem is such a wonderful place. It means a uh, city of peace. I love the city of Jerusalem. I've been there and want to go again. Love it. It's a great city. But Jerusalem has, has some issues. Jerusalem is very an inward-focused church. The church in Jerusalem is pretty much inward-focused. Now, the reason for that is, uh, you know, they're just sort of, they're sort of, you know, working through things. The apostles are residing there. That's where the political, uh, you know, things from Rome are happening. The, the Roman leaders from Caesarea come to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is sort of a, sort of an internal-based church. Uh, and they're sort of about, you know, trying to maintain, keep things together. Antioch is 300 miles away from Jerusalem. I've got a map here, I think, that will help you a little bit about uh, where Jerusalem is, where Antioch is. Uh, so let's see here. You've got Jerusalem way down here, and then you've got Antioch up here. And so it's about 300 miles from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now, Antioch is a major city, major city. Interesting thing about the church in, Jeru- uh, church in the book of Acts, it's mainly an urban church. There's 40 different 40 different cities mentioned in the book of Acts. So the church primarily became urban, uh, city-based. So it went to Antioch. And um, so here's what's interesting about Antioch. Antioch is about a, a city of about a half a million people. It was founded by uh, one of Alexander the Great's uh, generals after he died. Alexander the Great didn't have a successor. You know, he, he asked who was going to succeed. Somebody asked him one time who was going to succeed him. And he said the strongest so all the generals fought over his kingdom afterwards. So, um, but what's interesting about Antioch, Antioch is one of the three most important cities in the world at this time. Uh, very, very important. Uh, the, the, the three most important cities in the world at this time is Rome, uh, Alexandria, and Antioch. So this is a major, major city. Sort of like New York City, Washington, D.C., and maybe Baltimore, Maryland. In our, in our region. So this is a major city, a major place, uh, half a million people there, a lot of Jewish people, but it's a very international city, very cosmo, co- uh, very, uh, uh, you know, lots of people from a lot of different places in the world are there at, uh, at Antioch. 
So the difference between Antioch and Jerusalem, Jerusalem is all about, it's all about containment, control. It's all about proper order and all that. Antioch is a church that thinks about the world. Antioch is sending people out all the time. What's primarily important about Antioch is, is it's a sending church. It's reaching out. Now, here's what's in, 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 incredible about that. Um, let's, let's look at verse 3, Acts 13, 3. It gives a little uh, insight on what this church is like and the paradigm of this church. This church is a church that constantly sends out, and I can read it for you. Uh, And here's what it says. It says, so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. They sent them off. So this uh, this is a church that sends people out. They care about the world. They care. It's not just about them. They're always thinking about the outside. They're always thinking about the world. They're always thinking about other people. Now, churches and people can be either like Jerusalem or Antioch. People can think about, you know, my salary, my life, my world, my house, my job, my children, can kind of sort of be an inward-focused person, or you can be a person that's an Antioch type of person that you're sending out. You're always reaching out. You're always caring about other people. Now, this church, what I love about Bayshore is that we're a lot like an Antioch church. We're always thinking about outside of ourselves. We thought about Rehoboth a few years ago when we started a church in Rehoboth. And, and they baptized over 100 people this year in Rehoboth, Delaware, uh, as, we, as, we, as we send people out to go there and help uh, minister to that city. And, uh, and we care about Rehoboth. We care about Lewis. And uh, so, you know, that's the kind of church that we want to be, and that's what we aspire to. Here's what happened a couple weeks ago. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I read to you a letter um, from from Justin Gillette, who was a middle school teacher in Seaford. And he had this kid that he was talking to uh, in in the program where, where the challenging kids were, and he was talking to this kid about what he would be thankful for at Thanksgiving. He had nothing to be thankful for and found out that this kid didn't get anything for Christmas last year. And this kid, uh, he came to school uh, the coldest day of the week a couple weeks ago. And all he had was a pair of shorts on and he had a t-shirt and he came and it was blistering cold, didn't have a coat, didn't have anything to wear. And so Justin got a burden for this kid and 12 other kids or, or 11 other kids like him. And so I just got up here and read a letter. And it deeply touched me because I'm from Seaford, and that middle school is a school that I went to. I went to that school. And so I just got up here and I said, listen, we need to do something. And, and you guys, I said, let's go out and buy Walmart cards. Let's go Walmart cards. Justin said he'll go buy the presents. He'll buy the presents for these kids. And so I, I shared that vision with you, just read the letter and then the next Sunday, within a week, within seven days, you guys came and you got, you got over $2,000 of Walmart cards, over $2,000 of Walmart cards to help these kids. And we're going to help 12 kids that wouldn't have a Christmas at all. And it's because you said, hey, listen, we want to be like Antioch. We care about people other than ourselves. Hey, listen, Bayshore does not exist for ourselves. We exist for others. 
We don't exist for ourselves. We're not Jerusalem. We're Antioch. And so you guys stepped up. And Karen, this week, more, more cards were coming in. We had $2,000. More cards were coming in. And so Karen had another stack of cards. And so she drove to the middle school. And she went to the Seaford Middle School, went into the office there, and you know how they, they frisk you down and all that, you know, and you go to the school. And so we talked to them, and uh, they said, hey, listen, go down. Those kids, all those kids are down at the gym with Justin. So Karen walked down with the new cards that you guys had given, and she went down. She got to meet all of those kids. Said one of the kids, big, big African-American kid, you know, nicest kid in the world. And uh, got to hang out with them. And because we have an Antioch mentality, we're able to help other people. You know why we're helping middle school kids in Seaford? It's because God cares about middle school kids in Seaford. And the way he shows that he cares about middle school kids in Seaford is because you stepped up and you did that and you reached out to them. Isn't that a good thing? And let's just celebrate that. Isn't that awesome? So we've been, we've been corresponding with Justin this week. I think we have a picture of Justin. Maybe we have a picture of Justin. We have a picture of This is Justin uh, Gillette. He's a middle school teacher and his wife, Brooke. And, uh, you know, Justin said to us this week, he said, Hey, listen, we're just not, he said, we're having a party for these kids before they leave school, these, these kids that don't have anything. We're having a party for them, Christmas party. And he said, on Christmas morning, he said, after my kids settle down and they unra- unwrap all their presents, he said, I'm going to go and deliver these presents and be with each of those kids on Christmas morning and spend some time with them. He said this, he said, because, you know, getting a gift is wonderful, but what those kids are going to remember is somebody being with them. So we want to thank you, Justin, for doing that. It's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing. See, an Antioch church is a church that gives that reaches out, that cares beyond itself. And I always say, and I said this to you last week, you cannot help another person without helping yourself. Say it with me. You cannot help another person without helping yourself. And I read this week in my Proverbs, in my reading of Proverbs, uh, and I didn't even know this was in there. And I've been saying, he who helps others, uh, <clears throat> you cannot help another person without helping yourself. I've been saying that for years. That's kind of been my theme and what I'm trying to live. You cannot help other people without helping yourself. And I'd read Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 11. It says, he who is kind benefits himself. So I didn't even know that there was a scripture that went with that thing. So that's really, really cool. So I've been thinking about Christmas too. I've been thinking about Christmas and just overwhelmed with the materialism of Christmas and I'm like the you know like everybody else I like stuff and and uh, man it's just overwhelming though all this stuff and I just was thinking the other day it's you know I just I'm glad we're having Christmas and we're buying stuff for our grandkids and our kids and I've been loving shopping for Karen and uh, all that but I just got thinking how ironic it is that it's Jesus' birthday and we're buying stuff for ourselves. It just seems odd and weird, you know, that we do that. But it's, you know, it's fun. I love it and all that, and I don't want to change it. So anyhow. Uh, but I was thinking about this this morning. You know, giving a gift to Jesus. Giving a gift, gift to Jesus. I'm thinking, you know, Lord, it's so crazy. We're Christmas time. We're giving gifts to ourselves, and it's 
your birthday, it's your celebration, you come to the earth and all that. And the Lord said, you are, you are giving me a gift. I said, well, Lord, what do you mean? He said, well, you know what it says in Matthew 25? So I was hungry and you fed me. I needed clothes and you clothed me. And I, I, I needed somebody to visit me and you came to visit me. And they said to him in Matthew 25, when did we do that? And Jesus said, when you did it unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. So all of a sudden, it connected for me that we're like the wise men and the magi at Christmas time when we've given gifts to help these middle school kids. We've actually knelt at the feet of Jesus at the manger and we have presented treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So say this with me, to give to another person that's in need is equivalent to giving to Jesus. So we always want to be an Antioch church. We started this week a board of directors. We had a board of directors meeting and uh, wonderful, smart people that know about money that help us in our church and really, really smart people. And we started a new account, you know, a new church planning account. So we're planning for the future because we want to plant other churches. We want, to, we want to be an Antioch church. We want to be sending out and doing more for the kingdom of God. Listen to this. Any, when maintenance and survival becomes the objective, you are dying. Any organization, any church that's focused on maintenance will die. But it's when you have mission that you will thrive. Mission makes you thrive. In the early church in Antioch, they had a mission. They wanted to reach the world, helping other people, thinking outside of themselves. So helping middle school kids. And then Wednesday here, Wednesday at Bayshore, I'm so proud to see this happening. I mean, it's just like it just happens. God, by His Spirit, is just making this stuff happen. It's not like stuff I'm, I'm pulling strings to happen. The church is being the church here. Uh, this Wednesday, 300 people. 300 people came on this campus where you're worshiping right now. 300 people came here. And they got food and they got assistance and they got prayer and they got loves and they got hugs. That represents about 40 different families. And somebody called and they missed it and they didn't get here because of some problems. And, then, and they couldn't come until 6 o'clock. And somebody from the team came back at 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening and helped take care of another family. So an Antioch church doesn't think about itself, and Antioch church thinks about others. They sent out Barnabas and Saul. They sent them out. They sent them out. And Friday night, Friday night, there was a group of couples in our church that got together. They were at, the, um, at our Splash Daycare Center. We used the child facility there. A group of young couples in our church that just got together and wanted to help Families in our church that had special children with special needs. And so they took care of, of children while parents went out. Say this with me. Antioch is about reaching out. Jerusalem was about all contained. We have no record. No record of any church that the Jerusalem church planted. They were surviving, trying to get through things. And, and 
There was reasons for that, and God used Jerusalem, and it had a special significance. But Jerusalem was sort of always having conflict, and and it had somewhat to do with they were internally focused. So that's the first thing we learn uh, in the story. I love this story. I love Antioch. Antioch's just an amazing, amazing place. And so um, a whole bunch of stuff we could say about that. Now then we see the kind of people... The kind of people that uh, were in the church of Antioch. Antioch was an international city, so it's reflected in the kind of people. So it lists these people in the church. It says Barnabas. Uh, it says the pro- there were prophets and teachers in, uh, in the church of Antioch. Prophets and teachers, and that's an interesting thing. A teacher explains, a, a prophet proclaims. A teacher explains, a prophet proclaims. So you'll see me, I'm kind of like a, a little bit of both. And sometimes I proclaim, and sometimes I explain. And I used to be mainly always a proclaimer, now more I'm an explainer. Uh, but uh, teachers explain uh, how to live, and prophets proclaim something the church needs to hear. But there was uh, different people. Barnabas! Barnabas! He's the first guy named Barnabas. That's not his name! But he's called Barnabas. His name is Joseph, or Joseph. That's his real name. Uh, Barnabas was a nickname. Joseph. What does Joseph mean? The Lord will add. Or Joseph, one more. What does that mean? He came from a big family. It means his parents had a, another kid. They thought, man, what are we going to call this? Just call him one more. You know, that's what we called him. One more. One more baby. And uh, boy, that's got to make you feel good. Hey, what's your name? One more. Hey, you're just added on. You know, you, you are, you are, we could have called you oops. You know, you're a surprise. <laughs> So that's what he grew up in, big family. You know, he always got the, the chicken neck, you know, when he was trying to get something to eat. And, but Barnabas, you know, I think, he, I think he became wealthy because the first time we read about Barnabas, he was selling property and giving it to the church. And we never read of him working. He seems to be independently wealthy. I don't know, but it seems like to me he, he had resources. And that's interesting and there are people in God's church that have resources. There are some people that are rich and some people that have resources. That's wonderful. But the big thing about Barnabas, his name means, his nickname was given to him by the apostles. And his nickname means, uh, means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. He always made you feel good. He was happy. I was dedicating, you know, little, uh, uh, these little boys here this morning, Eli, Smiling the whole time. Missing a tooth, but smiling. And Barnabas was a smiler. He was happy. How many of you like to be around people like that? You like to be around happy people? Have you ever asked some people how they're doing? You wish you hadn't asked them that. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you know, they just tell you how bad things are. Things are bad, and they just tell you. They've been watching too much Fox News. They're all fired up about the world and how bad things are. But Barnabas wasn't like that. He was happy. He was was always encouraged. He made you feel better. He made you feel good. Walter Mondale was asked, what is Ronald Reagan's success? Here's our 40th president, a picture of our 40th president of the United States. Remember this guy? Remember him? Everybody liked him. Even the Democrats liked him. Tip O'Neill, most liberal Democrat speaker of the House in the world, loved Ronald Reagan. 
because Ronald Reagan made you feel good. And here's what they said. Walter Mondale said, the reason Ronald Reagan is so successful is he makes people feel good. And Barnabas made people feel good. He was happy. He was joyful. He was encouraging. If you were, you were down, you would discourage, you know, like Ronald Reagan said, the little, you know, boy that found a, you know, room full of manure and the little boy said, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. You know, that's how, that's how, that's how Barnabas was. He could always see the silver lining. He was positive. You know, we got a Barnabas in our church. We got a bunch of Barnabases here. Some of you are Barnabases. But, you know, we got a Barnabas, Jody Monroe. Here's a picture of Jody Monroe. That's a Barnabas right there. How many know Barnabas? I've, I've known Jody for 30 years. She's always encouraging people, always making people feel good. Always, you know, I've, I've just seen her encourage, encourage. She just makes people feel better. She's in the foyer loving on people and all that. Just, uh, you know, that's good, good thing. So that's what Barnabas, the church, was, church had Barnabas. By the way, you want to know a little thing about Barnabas? Interesting. Barnabas had a famous cousin. Maybe you don't know this. You find this in Colossians chapter 4. Barnabas had a famous cousin. Who was his famous cousin? John Mark. The guy that wrote the Gospel of Mark was Barnabas' cousin. So you can connect the dots there. So then it mentions, it mentions uh, Simon, called, uh, Simon called Niger. Simon called Niger. Now Niger is a uh, Latin word for black. Black skin. Simon called Niger. He was from Africa. He was black. And the early church in Antioch was racially diverse. I love to see racial diversity here at Bayshore. And I see more and more of it. And we want to celebrate that because, hey, listen... God is not a white God. God is not a Hispanic God. God's not a black God. He's a God of all of that, and he mixes it all together. And so there's a, a real variety there, and Simon, uh, Simon of Niger. And uh, how many know that um, the church needs to lead the way in racial harmony and racial diversity and uh, racial diversity? And I think it's a good thing. If you believe that, say a big amen right now. I love it. Hispanic people, Asian people. If you watch Bayshore, if you watch Bayshore, God's starting to do that. And I just see it. I see it walking around. I can just see it in the foyer. And that's God's will. The worst thing, you know, you go, and I don't want to slam any church, but here it goes, you know. Uh, you got your Episcopalian, the Presbyterians, you know, and these like mainline things. And it's everybody, everybody is white collar. Everybody is six figures. Everybody is the same. You look around, it's like looking in the mirror. And that is not a biblical church. A biblical church is not made up just of rich white people. A biblical church is made up of every race, every socioeconomical level. The educated, the uneducated, the rich, the poor, all mixed together. And by the way, in this list of people, in this list of people, um, these are people in leadership. These aren't people just going to their church. These are leaders in the church. They're prophets and teachers. These are the leaders. They had a, one of the key people was Simon, uh, of, Cy, Simon uh, of, Niger, of Niger. That guy was a leader in the church. 
By the way, little, little thing here, is Simon, some people think, and we don't know for sure, but some people think Simon uh, called Niger was the same guy in the Gospel of Mark who carried the cross for Jesus. Remember, they, they got a, um, a, a black man when Jesus was carrying the cross to Calvary, and he stumbled and he was weak by loss of blood, that they forced a man named Simon to carry the cross. Many scholars believe this is the same guy. And he's also mentioned his sons. He has two sons, the guy that carried the cross, the black guy that carried the cross, uh, has two sons, Rufus and Alexander. And if you read in Romans chapter 16, Paul's greeting people and he greets Rufus. So the sons of the guy, or at least one of the sons of the guy that carried the cross for Jesus, became a Christian. And perhaps this guy is the same guy. So Simon loses. Uh, Simon called Niger, and that's a really, really, really good thing. Just say this to me. Let's get in our heart. Just say this with me out loud. We are open and celebrate racial diversity at this church. Then there's Lucis of Cyrene. Cyrene, of course, is Libya. Uh, Cyrene is North Africa, so we have another guy. Uh, what we do know about Cyrene, we know Cyrene was a highly intellectual city, sort of like a Harvard city, a lot of universities there. So perhaps this guy was educated. We don't know a lot about him. Then Menaean, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Here's another Herod, Herod the Tetrarch. This is Herod Antipas, Herod Antipas, and he ruled over um, Samaria and Galilee. And he was the guy, This, listen to this, he was the guy, uh, Menaean, uh, who grew up with uh, Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch is Herod Antipas, who had John the Baptist beheaded, and he was the guy, he was the Herod that Jesus stood before in his trial and that mocked Jesus. So one of the friends of the guy who mocked Jesus, one of the friends who had John the Baptist beheaded, one of the friends, a guy named Menaean, who was in high social circles, he was in the political uh, upper, upper line there. He became a Christian and was a follower of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? He became a follower of Jesus. To me, you got one man, Herod, who rejects Jesus, and you got his friend, Menaean, who received Jesus. You got two people who take two different paths. One man turns away from Jesus and one man turns to Jesus. And one of the people in the early church was a friend of Herod Antipas. And he was a high, uh, high falute, kind of like high level, uh, politically placed person. He became a Christian. And then it says, uh, then there was Saul, who was, of course, the Saul's listed last because he's probably the youngest Christian, and nobody knows how great Saul's going to become. So I think about the early church. I was thinking about this real quickly. I was thinking about when I thought about the early church and the church of Antioch, I thought about a box of crayons here, uh, diversity. We have di- different personalities. We have different, um, we have different economic levels. We have different educational levels, and we have different races. So the early church was like a crayon box. Here's a 96 uh, crayon colors. And uh, I bought this at Walmart the other night, and I was talking to Karen. We were buying this, and I was saying, you know, did they ever make crayons of just one color? It was, seems to me they used to make all white or all black, and, and I can't remember. Uh, but she said, you know, I don't think so. What would be the point of that? <laughs> and what would be the point of a church where everybody looks alike? 
And if you look across the aisle at the church you attend and everybody looks like you, then that's not the kind of church that this church was. It was a very, very diverse church. A couple pictures. I, I just Googled this. This is just this is extra. You know, this is not really profound or anything. But here's a, some crayon pictures people have drawn. And uh, that was drawn with crayons. Isn't that amazing? Uh, it took me about 20 minutes to do that. And so that was, uh, <laughs> you know, you can do a lot with crayons. Here's another picture. This is done with crayons. Isn't that amazing? And give me another one here. I got some more of these. Isn't that, you believe that? With crayons. One more. I think we got one more. Isn't that amazing? Let's do one more. I think we got another one. Isn't that great? Wow. You know, so you think about what is God? God's painting a beautiful picture in this world. He's painting a beautiful picture through his church, and he uses diversity to do that. So we got about like three other things in this text, but we're not going to get it all done. But let me just, here's, here's another thing I saw in the text, was they got direction. Set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I've called them to do. They got direction. They got guidance about what to do. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been uh, looking for direction and guidance? You didn't know what to do? Has that ever happened to anybody? You didn't know what to do. You just didn't know what to do. You needed guidance. Just raise your hand. If anybody just needed guidance to know what to do? Got confused about what to do? I remember when I was uh, hunting one time. I used to live uh, at a different house, and I had this big woods behind my house, and I used to hunt back there, white-tailed deer. And I remember uh, I had this yellow lab named Nick. We got him for Christmas. We called him Nicholas since we had this yellow lab. And so uh, we had this uh, invisible fence to keep him in the yard. So I went hunting. I had my, my camouflage stuff on, my, my gun and, you know, the, all the stuff. And I'm walking out of our yard. And Nick's wanting to go. He's jumping up and down. He's like, he's barking. He's like freaking out and and so, man, I just, you know, I went, went and got out of the yard because you don't want the dog following you when you're hunting. So I got up my deer stand and got all set. And then I could still hear Nick barking way back in the yard. And then all of a sudden he wasn't barking anymore. And what that dog had done, he had kind of put his head down and run through, run through the uh, invisible fence thing. And he's tracking me. He's smelling my trail. And I'm just like, he comes right to the deer stand where I am. And he looks around like, where is that? You know, of course, that ruins your hunt. So I've got a gold lab, you know, mounted on my wall, you know. <laughs> but I'm like, you know, we all get like Nick sometimes. We get, we get to a place and we, we just like, what do we do? What do we do? Where do we, how do we get direction? What's really interesting about this is, is they didn't get direction by looking for direction. They got direction by being intimate with the Lord while they were worshiping. The Holy Spirit said, which is the equivalent of direction, while they were worshiping, the Holy Spirit said. And so if you need direction, God's just calling you to seek His face. God's just calling you to be intimate with Him. God's just calling you to worship Him. And the word worship there means to it. It's the same word as priest in the temple uh, that, that served the Lord in the temple. And so if you don't know what to do, just, just get your focus on Jesus. Just love Jesus. Just worship Him. And say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but I love You, and I worship You, and I adore You, and I magnify you, 
and I make you the Lord of my life. And there's no one like you. And you worship Jesus and you talk to Jesus and you focus on Jesus. And out of intimacy comes direction. Out of intimacy comes direction. And so while they were worshiping the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I've, I've chosen them. And let's put Psalm 32 uh, on the screen here. Psalm 32. Uh, Psalm 32, I think it's verse 8, uh, somewhere in there. Uh, here's, what, here's what God says about guidance. I want you to read this. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. God wants to give you direction. He wants to give you direction. Here's what it says. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Say it with me. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. So don't be frantic and worrying. What am I supposed to do? When am I supposed to retire? Where am I supposed to move? You know, he said he will instruct you. He'll guide you. I will instruct you and teach you where you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. God's looking at you. God's focused on you. He loves you. He cares about you. And he will counsel you with his eye. And then verse 9 Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Basically, that verse says, don't have an obstinate spirit against the Lord saying, I'm going to do whatever I want to. If you're a person who wants to do God's will, he will instruct you and he will guide you. He may use circumstances. He may use a sermon. He may tap you on the shoulder. He may guide you, but he will give you the direction that you need. So, last little thing in the story is, uh, just say this way, this last point, uh, guidance comes through intimacy with Jesus. Say it one more time, guidance comes through intimacy with Jesus. So get your, get your smartphone, put some worship music on, sit in a, in a room and just love Jesus. And, and I'm not sure if he'll give you guidance at that moment. But it's out of a relationship of intimacy with the Lord that the Lord shows us what to do. Last thing in the story is there's a guy. They go to uh, Cyprus. Um, Cyprus is the first mission place they go. Real quickly, there's a, uh, here's a picture of Cyprus on the map. Cyprus is, a, is a, about a 400-mile uh, island, the third biggest island in the Mediterranean Sea. And it's, uh, it's just off the coast there, about 130 miles from the coast. And so they come here to Salamis, a major thing, and they end up at Paphos, which is where the, the governor resides. And so while they, while they go through the, the, the island preaching and teaching and ministering, they end up uh, at Paphos where the government governor is in uh, Sergius Paulus, and there was a, uh, a Jewish uh, sorcerer that's trying to turn, um, turn uh, the sorcerer away from the, uh, turn the governor away from the faith. And Paul says, you son of the devil, you're perverting the ways of the Lord. Man, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? He like, Man, he told him, you're a son of the devil. And I thought about that. You know, it's very, 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 very dangerous to be a person that uses your influence to influence people away from Jesus. 
And boy, Paul just bowed up on him. It says, the Gospels say, if you cause one of these little ones to believe in me to stumble or to fall from the faith, it'd be better for you to tile a millstone around your neck and be cast into the sea. So there's like these heavy, heavy things about using your influence to influence people away from Jesus. And there's certain people in uh, that, that can influence us away from faith. And so we have to be careful not to let people that would influence us away from faith dominate us. So... The other, other Sunday, my son Joel, he's preaching down in the Rehoboth campus. And uh, he said, after he got done preaching, this, this 27, 28-year-old kid came up and hugged him. And he said, I'm moving. And he said, Joel said, you're moving. Why are you moving? He said, I'm moving. I'm moving because the people I'm hanging around with are keeping me addicted to my addiction. And he said, I'm moving. I'm getting away from those bad influences. And I've seen that time and time again. If you want to get free, you got to get away from some of the bad influences in your life. And Sergius Paulus, this governor who accepted Jesus, got rid of Elimus, Elimus the sorcerer, and sometimes you've got to get rid of bad influences to get where you are going. And somebody said... This famous motivation speaker, some of you know it, says, you are the average of the five people you hang around with most. So hang around with good people. Now, we're to evangelize people that have problems, but our closest friends, people that we are close to, have to be people that are headed toward following Jesus. Let's lift your hands to the Lord this morning. Some of you are here this morning, and and, uh, you just need to receive guidance from the Lord Some of you are here, you just need to be affirmed that you're reaching out, you're helping people, it's a good thing, what God's using you to do. Some of you need to divorce yourself from bad influences in your life. So God, as we lift our hands to you, we thank you for your wonderful, amazing love for us. We thank you that you're going to guide us and direct us, and we thank you together you're calling us to be an Antioch church, a church that looks outside of these doors into this community to make a difference. And say this with me out loud. Let's all make a commitment as a corporate church. Let's say it together. Lord God, we commit ourselves to look outside these doors to change our community and to be your voice and to be your love in this community. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen.